This week, Pastor Paul gives an introduction to the book of Romans. The pastor discusses where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from and his longing to connect with the people of Rome. There's a story. Oh, I'm going to have a lot of echo. There's a story of a lady who goes into a church and as she's listening, yeah, and as she's listening to the sermon um, and she's hearing the preacher preach the word of God, God changes and challenges her, and, and she leaves the message, and she leaves that church service changed, utterly changed, because she, she was listening to God, and he spoke, and, and, and she responded. And then so she talks about church all week long, service next week, and, and she comes, and she's very impressed by the pastor, and, and so she comes next week, and, and she's looking forward to hearing that pastor preach again, and, and this time she's listening intently to the pastor as he teaches, and he preaches, and and she doesn't hear anything. She hears nothing. And, and she comes up to him and she goes, Pastor, Pastor, what happened last week? Last week I was here and God spoke. And this week, you know, when you preached, I didn't hear anything. What happened? And he goes, it's really easy. He goes, it was first week, you came wanting to hear God and he spoke. Second week, you just came wanting to hear the pastor. He didn't say anything. And, and that, that's true every week. I believe that when I come up here... Um, if our hearts are prepared and our hearts are longing after God and, and you want to hear God, God will speak. I believe that God wants to talk to each and every person here this morning. I believe God has a message for you. I believe God's spirit will connect with you and speak to you. Or you can, or you can say, wow, Pastor Paul, you did a great job. I don't want to do a great job. I just want to come up here and, and be a guy, an instrument, a tool for God to use to cause us to be changed, to cause us to long after him. Start Studying has been a book that has caused significant change. I dare say the world is changed because the Apostle Paul, while he's in Corinth, wrestling with a church that has a ton of problems, longing to go to Rome, pens a very, very good letter. Sixteen chapters, fifteen of whom whom are, are, are really challenging and thoughtful The Chapter 16 is filled with a bunch of names. We'll get to why that's there. So the, so the Apostle Paul in Corinth writes a letter to a church. And as a result of that letter that Paul writes to this church of people who he's never met, lives are changed. I dare say our life is changed. See, it was this guy named Martin Luther, used by God to start the Reformation, to, to break, if you will, the Catholic stronghold on the church. Martin Luther takes in... And he reads verse 17 that we'll get to of chapter 1. And, and he meditates it on God uses this verse in this chapter to bring and start the fire burning in his veins. To, to wrench himself clean from the shackles that was going on. This guy named John Wesley. John Wesley reads a verse in chapter 15. The end of chapter 15. And he is touched and John Wesley is used by God, and, and the fire from the book of Romans, the letter of Romans written in Corinth, who Paul never met, he burns in him, and God uses John Wesley to start the great awakening, spiritual revival, in this, in first in, in Britain and then across the pond to America. There's a guy named John Bunyan. John Bunyan. He's in jail. He's in jail for his faith. He's in jail for believing. And, and he reads the letter of Romans. 
And as he reads the letter of Romans, he sees these great themes coming through. And as a part of reading that great themes, he begins to pen the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most read books in all of literature's history. I want you to catch, because I want you to catch the fire. I want you to catch the, the Spirit of God woven throughout these texts, these things for the next couple of months as we just journey with the Apostle Paul to this church of people that he's never been to, as he longs to go with him. We're going to do it a little bit differently than I've done other sermons today. We're going to, we're going to kind of look verse by verse. We're going to walk through it bit by bit. And so your outline has, has two pages, front and back, and you're going to want to flip, but it has the whole text, and then it has parts where I'm going to stop and think. This is going to be somewhat similar to what I do on a Wednesday night, and so you're going to want to kind of join along with me as I follow along. But my prayer for you, every single person in here, this book, the book of Romans, and the Holy Spirit of God penetrates us, changes us, challenges us. We're going to, we're going to get into some squishy things pretty quick-like. We're going to answer telephones. We're going to do all kinds of things. Right? One day I'm going to jump off the stage and I'm going to say hi. That's going to freak you and them out. All right. So as I said, the Apostle Paul, he's in Corinth. As he's in Corinth, he, he has a desire to take the gospel, take it to Rome, and, and to go there. And because Rome is the center, the commerce, the, the intellectual center of the world, and Paul wants to take the gospel there. Paul wants to share it. And Paul wants to then go from, ultimately his dream is to go to Spain. But, but before he does that, Paul is going to take a gift. He's going to take a gift down to the impoverished saints around Jerusalem. And we know from the book of Acts that when he takes that gift from Corinth and others, and he takes it down to Jerusalem, Paul goes to Rome, but he doesn't go as a free man. He goes as a prisoner. And Paul ultimately makes it to Rome, but he doesn't make it like he wanted to make it. And that's a lesson for us. Sometimes we go where God wants us to go. We get how we want to get, but we don't go like we dreamed of going. So turn with me, if you will. If you brought your Bibles, please bring your Bibles, because you can mark your Bibles, and, and for the next 20 years, you'll always have that mark. I don't know that any of you will keep your notes for the next 20 years, all right? Verse 17, and we're going to look at this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, and set apart for the gospel. Before we go very far, look at those three things. He's a servant. He's called. He was called by God, and he was set apart. Paul, the apostle, he says that he is a servant. He could have introduced himself like this. He could have said, Paul, an intellectual, brilliant man. Paul, a guy who was born of the tribe of Benjamin, who is in the lineage of David, who was taught by the great Gamil. Paul, the guy who, as to religious freedom. He was faultless. Paul, the guy who, who delivered. Paul, a guy of great intellect, a guy who is known as a, as a great scholar. Paul, this brilliant guy with all of these accolades. He could have started it like that. That'd be pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Oh, I'm, I'm getting a letter. I got this letter from this brilliant guy. I got this letter from this guy who's, who's known and noted for all of his, his publishing, all of his writings. This guy is brilliant. I got to pay attention to it. Or, you can get a letter from Paul, the servant of Jesus Christ. That word in Rome didn't mean a lot. It kind of was a demeaning Rome. But that word to the Jews that were part of this small church that he was starting meant a lot. Servant, somebody who, who is, who says, yes, Lord, I'll go. Yes, Lord, I'll move. Yes, Lord, I'll do. 
the Apostle Paul was a servant of Christ Jesus. Second, he was called to be an apostle. The Apostle Paul is stating clearly that this is not a position that, that he sought after. It's not a position that, that he, he, he went after, he fought with. No, it's a position in which he was called to. Remember, he was on the road to Damascus. He was against the church. He wanted to eradicate. He wanted to erase. He wanted to remove any vestiges of those heathen people, those rotten scumbags who, who, who followed Jesus, the false messiah. And as he's on this road riding on his horse, a bright light comes, knocks him off the horse. And a voice from heaven says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? And the voice from heaven says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and I'm going to tell you what you must do. And so Paul gets up, and then a little bit later in the book of Acts, there's a great servant by the name of Ananias. He says this to Paul through the Holy Spirit. He says, he says Paul, you are going to be God's chosen instrument to proclaim to the Gentiles and to the kings and all of the people of Israel the message of Christ. So Saul on the horse. Paul. Paul would be a great name for a guy who's going to reach the Greeks and the Romans. They would understand that name. A name that would be connected to his Jewish past. Paul. He's called to be an apostle. He didn't seek it out. God called him out. In fact, God called all the apostles out. Peter on the boat. Peter, come and follow me. And Peter leaves his family. Matthew from the tax booth. And so Matthew, follow me. And Matthew leaves everything and follows him. Nathaniel, get out from underneath that tree. Come and follow me. Nathaniel follows him. God called the apostles to be apostles. They didn't seek it out. And then he was set apart. He was set apart for the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel really is, it's a word that means a herald, a, a herald. Uh, an announcement. It's a declaration of something that had already taken place. And so, in the old days, the gospel, non-Christians would use the gospel. They would say, okay, the king goes out to war, and he has a victory. And the king has a victory, and, and it hasn't come back yet to the hometown, to the city. And so, they would send a herald to the city to announce, the king, he had a great victory. He conquered that town. And that would be the herald's message to go and proclaim what the king has already done and then to prepare the people for the triumphal entry of the king in his return. Does that, does that connect to us at all? We, we have been given a gospel. We have been called to herald, to proclaim the message of the victory that the king has already won and earning with all of the spoils of his victory. We get the privilege of heralding the message that the victory's already won and that one day the king is going to come with an entourage of people waiting desperately, wanting to celebrate and to joyfully connect with him. Oh, we're going to have a long verse. i got 15, 20 minutes to do a 900 slides. Okay, the gospel he promised beforehand through his holy prophets. Listen to this. This is a quote from a guy I studied. It says this. The gospel was in the Old Testament scriptures. Paul, along, Paul longed to announce that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the... Much of the Messiah was revealed in the Old Testament. Who would Jesus' mother be? She'd be a virgin. Of what house was he? Oh, he was to be from the house of David. Where would he be born? He'd be born in Bethlehem, according to the scriptures. What name would be given this Messiah? Oh, Emmanuel, God with us. What death would be to him? 
OEB, the cross, the piercing of the body without the breaking of the bones. Where would this take place? According to the scriptures, in Jerusalem, outside of the city. Paul's task was rooted as far back as the Garden of Eden and the patriarchs and the prophets. Paul says, promised beforehand through the scriptures, the gospel, regarding who? Regarding Jesus Christ, his son, in the flesh, a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Christ Jesus our Lord. We said this last week. I think we can remember from last week to this week, right? Christ Jesus, because it's of the resurrection, right? Son of the power by his resurrection. And I say he is risen, and you say? He is risen and we say he is alive? He is alive yes, the resurrection permeates our very being. And then through him, through, we receive grace and apostleship to call all Gentiles, to call all Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Obedience. Think about that. Think about obedience. It flows out of faith. Obedience does not lead to faith. You can be a very good person, but that does not mean that you're going to have faith in Jesus Christ. This means that you could be a very good person. Also, faith does not lead and does not bring about obedience. Right? We all know people who have proclaimed that they were Christ followers, and yet their life was filled with disobedience. You can have faith, in fact, that even the demons believe. They have perfect faith, and yet they have perfect disobedience. Obedience, your obedience, flows out of your faith. Do you have faith? Do you have faith to get out of your comfort zone? Do you have faith to move where God wants you to move, to do what God wants you to do? Or is your faith comfortable? Your, your, your cushions, your seats. You know everybody here. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You also. You are among those who are called. Paul, Paul. Yes, Lord. Jesus Christ. And then from that life on, his life has changed. You, each one of you had a moment in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ and he called you. He called you for a purpose and for a meaning. To all those who are in Rome, who are loved, we're going to stop for a second, who are loved, who are loved by God. It brings together a passage that I remember. A passage is John 3.16. We've, we've seen this before. In fact, in fact, I think we can read this together, okay? Because I'm going to unpack it little by little in, in a quick second. Let's read this together. We'll start with God instead of John 3.16, okay? Ready? For God so that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Watch this. For God, that's the greatest, that's the greatest lover, right? God is the greatest lover. So loved. That's the greatest degree. His love is greater than our love. The world, that's the greatest company that he gave. The greatest act, God giving his son the greatest gift. That whoever, 
That's you and me and everybody else. The opportunity, the greatest opportunity. Whoever does what? Whoever believes. That's the greatest simplicity. All you need to do to be a Christian. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Then will spring forth obedience when it's true. In him, the greatest action. You should not perish. That's the greatest promise. For those of you who have confessed, those of you who have acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, the greatest act is that the greatest promise, I'm sorry, is that you will not perish. But that's the greatest deliverance. I'm different. You will have the greatest certainty. You can be assured that you have eternal life because you have everlasting life, and that's the greatest possession. That's a great verse, church. A great promise. A great gift from the greatest lover. God loves you. And so Paul says to all who are loved, to all of us, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. His holy people. Really, the idea behind that, and, and, and this is from the NIV, other versions say his saints, his set-apart ones, his, his saints. We, we are called. We are called saints. How many of you saw a halo over the other person when you came in this morning? Saw that little halo, right? You could, oh, there's Deb in the back. Okay, look at that halo. It's, it's a little gold back there. This is great. You know, how many of us saw the halo of sainthood? Richard's saying, my halo fell off. i got to put that back up. <laughs> you know, and that's because saints really means you're set apart. You've been set apart for a noble purpose. You've been set apart for his holiness. We've talked about the, in his holiness, God, and every time God uses you, it is for a noble purpose. Because he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things. And he, the holy king, uses you, his servant. That means that you are used for a noble Righteous, beautiful purpose. Saints. Saints. You don't get stuck into a wall and other people come and admire your faith. Because some places you go and, 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 and you see a saint, you see marble images in the walls, and, and in order to acknowledge who the saint is, you've got to go to the church and you've got to admire that beautiful statue. Well, God doesn't want you to be a beautiful statue in a wall. He wants you to be a saint walking amongst them in the streets. Church of Jesus Christ, you are saints. You are called to a noble purpose by the righteous God. To all who are loved by God and called to be his holy position, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Paul takes something. He takes a common greeting in, in Greek, and he takes a common greeting in Hebrew, and he mixes them. There was a word, and so in Rome, if you were in Rome, you would, you would say this word, it's called chari, Chari, you'd say chari, and chari meant rejoice. And so you would say chari, and it's kind of like a greeting. It's like, hello, how are you? You know, we go, hey, what's up, dude? We go, we go, we go, how are you? Asked when Patricia challenged you to smile, said, hey, how are you doing? And you really don't expect an honest answer right now, do you? You don't want, well, I got up this morning, and, and you know, bad things were happening to my body. You don't want to know that, do you? No, we don't do it. We don't want to, not, not, not in a two-second, shake your hand, say good morning. And so the Romans would say, chari, chari, rejoice. And, and the Hebrews would say, shalom, peace, peace, the God of peace be with you. And so Paul takes chari and he moves it to a similar word, charis, grace. And so Paul replaces rejoicing with grace and he opens up and he changes to rejoice. Shalom, it is grace. Grace. 
And we're going to understand grace in a much deeper way over the next couple of months, but grace. And so the first thing that Paul says is this word. Simple word, first. First. He's going to begin the letter, and he's going to end the letter with the same idea. First, his first thing was prayer. And his last thing is prayer. He was praying that he would get to Rome to go see him. Look at what he says. Pray that I may come to you, verse 110, at the end of the book. Pray that I may come to you with joy, chapter 15, verse 32. So my question for us as we begin this series is, who are you praying for? What group of people are you praying for that you, you could encourage? And because you encourage, they will also encourage you. Who's the non-Christian that you're praying for? Who's the family member you're praying for? Who's the group of people? 750,000 people are in the Inland Empire. We only have a handful of large churches. Yeah, and, and yeah, probably ah, 10, 15 churches that have probably over 10,000 people. Probably 600,000 people, maybe less than that, go to church on a Sunday morning. Church, we have a mission that is huge just to reach the Inland Empire, just to reach the people in our neighborhood, just to reach the We need to pray. We need to pray for them and say, when, how can I encourage the churches, the large churches? How can I encourage the small churches? How can I encourage those who proclaim the gospel, share the gospel, live the gospel? And so that when you engage with them, they become a source of encouragement for you. You become a source of encouragement for them. How about your family members, your friends, your neighbors? Are you praying for them? The very, very first thing Paul does as he opens this letter, as he greets him and saying, hey, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. And because I'm praying for you, I feel like I can speak to you. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because he reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit, in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in prayers. In my prayers at all times, and I pray that at last now, by God's will, it may be opened up for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. The Apostle Paul wants to go to Rome, wants to encourage and, and, and give something away. As a result, he also wants to be encouraged. Watch this, church. You have something to give somebody. Give somebody. And somebody has something to give you. You, each one of you here, have something to give somebody. Oh, in a second, you're going to see how big that thing is. But you have something to give. Jervon and the piano, led by the Spirit of God, I believe, says, oh, I don't have anything to give. See, see, I've failed so many times. See, uh, I've misstepped so many times. See, see, I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough experience. I can't give because I um, don't know how. You have something to give. And when you give it, you'll be encouraged. They will be encouraged. Maybe it's the message of the gospel. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's, it's a good word at that moment. Paul says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, that in order that I might harvest among you, just as I have amongst the other Gentiles. There are two ways we harvest as a church. One is inside the church, 
and the other is outside of the church. Jesus Christ, speaking to his disciples, says, says hey, hey, when you, when you fulfill this, he goes, the people heard the word of God and they accepted it, and the people, the church, produced a crop of 30, 60, 100-fold. Jesus Christ. People in Colton, what is your harvest? If I, as a pastor, am looking as a harvest, what do I gain? What, 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 what are you producing? What is your crop that you're producing? I'm going to have to give an account. Fortunately, I'm going to have some elders next to me. Yay. Um, I'm going to have to give an account. And, and what is the harvest that we're going to give the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, because you have been here for years listening to the preaching of each and every week, the sermons. What is that? What, 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 what are you going to get on the other side of that? But then that's inside of the church. We need to harvest lives, love, kindness, grace, relationships, power and passion from one another. Second is toward the outside. We, we need to harvest. And he says, hey, pray for the Lord of the harvest because there are, there's a lot to be harvested. Inland Empire, 750,000 people. Go one border, four millions of people. Almost every country in the world is represented in L.A. County, L.A. and Orange County. You want to have a mission impact, come to Southern California. You want to have a mission impact. There have been so many significant missional things, Christian things, explode out of Southern California. The charismatic movement, you know, exploded. Campus Crusade for Christ, you know, exploded out of Southern California. Focus on the family, exploded out of California. And you can go on of the great missions work, the great things that exploded. And maybe God is wanting to use you for a reason to bring growth in some of that area. I am obligated, Paul writes, to both the Greeks and the non-Greeks, to the wise and to the foolish. And that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you in Rome. Obligated is to be indebted. And so Paul says, I am obligated. And so if, if Patricia were to loan me $100, to go, and I needed $100, and I went to Patricia and said, hey, can I, um, okay, Patricia, i got to ignore your character, because she would say, no, just have $100. No, she, this is a loan. I would be indebted to her until I paid it back. Would I be indebted if I paid only $75 back? Would I still be indebted to her? Yes, yes why? Because she gave me 100 right? And so I gave her 75 I couldn't say, well, I'm done with that debt. I'd have to say, no. How about if I gave her $90? Would I still be indebted to her? How about $99? I'd be indebted until I paid her the full, full back. Knowing Patricia's character, she'd charge me $110 for her $100. <laughs> know, right? And so I'd be indebted. So, so that's an obligation to repay. But that isn't what Paul added. That's what we kind of think about. What about this? It is... It is when you give somebody some money to pass along and give to somebody else. What if Patricia gave me $100 and she said, I want you to give this to this other person. This other person, we'll call him Ted. Now, I'm not indebted to Patricia anymore. Patricia gave that away. I'm indebted to Ted, even though I don't know who Ted is. I have to figure out who Ted is, so then I can pass along the, the gift that Patricia gave me to give to Ted. Church, that's the gospel. That's the good news. We have been given the gift of the good news of Jesus Christ. He has entrusted us with it. And he has said, go and reach those people. You have accepted the gift. 
And the moment I accept the monies from Patricia to give to Ted, I, I am obligated, I am, I am bound to find Ted and give him that monies. Paul says, hey, I am obligated. I accepted Jesus Christ, he, uh, the mission that he has given me, and I need to, I am obligated to pass it along to you in Rome. Do you get it, church? Do you understand that you are indebted to Jesus Christ? He, he has given you this gift. He's given you this beautiful act of grace, of mercy, of love, of kindness, of good news. And, and you got the obligation to do something with it. You must present it and share it with other people. You cannot hold it and keep it. Paul says that he is indebted. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone, first the Jew and then the Gentile. Here's something we don't think about often, how offensive the gospel is. The gospel should be offensive to you. Offensive to you, if you've got any common sense, it should be offensive, because the gospel is free, and that's offensive. Oh, well, how is the gospel being free offensive to me? The gospel is free because it means that you are such a, a pathetic person that to get that to you would be to give it to you for free. It, it, it's free, and you still reject it. It's free, and you still do nothing with it. That should a friend you go, wait, 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 I am so pathetic that the only way to gain salvation is if God gives it to me for free. In other words, there's nothing about you in and of yourself that could warrant the salvation. You're a pathetic person. Preach it, brother. I don't hear anybody saying that. <laughs> Come on, church. Work with me here. Okay, no. No, the gospel is offensive, especially when you share it. People want to add something to the free gift. It's offensive in that Jesus offensive. We are so wicked. We are so wicked that the only price that was good enough to pay for your son your sins is the death of Jesus. In other words, your sins are so bad, 10 bulls wouldn't do it. 15 bulls, 100 bulls, the blood of those animals, every cattle on a thousand hills could not completely satisfy the full wrath of God for your sins. Wow. I am that bad? I'm offended at how horrible a rotten person I am. That, that, that the only way that I could have salvation is the death of the one who created everything and in whom all things are created, by whom and for whom and through whom all things are created. Heaven and earth exist. His Son, Jesus Christ, died for me. I am that bad of a person. That's offensive. Number three, being good and spiritual isn't good enough. It is only through faith that we get there. In other words, you could have gone to church all of your life. You could have been raised in a church. Your grandparents could have been church-growing people. And, and that isn't good enough. You could have memorized all of the books of the Bible. You could know, you could have Matthew, Mark, memorize every word, every text. You could know it, all the Greek, all the Hebrew. You could know it ad nauseum. And you're still not good enough. You're still not good enough. You still can't earn your way into salvation. And that should be offensive. Really? I can't do anything? Jesus suffered and served, and that's offensive. 
Jesus Christ created everything, came as a baby. We celebrate that. But he came as a baby. He suffered and died for us. He was beaten, flogged for us. And that should be offensive. The gospel is offensive. We embrace the fact that God's so holy that the only way for us to have a relationship with this holy God is through our sin-marred being, confessing with our mouth, Lord Jesus, you are my Lord. Believing in my heart, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I, I, I choose to go where you want me to go, to do what you want me to do for the gospel, for the herald, for the good news, for the gospel. It is boundless, and yet it has boundaries. It is boundless, and yet it has boundaries. Paul says, for the wise and for the non-wise, for the Jew and for the Gentile, the gospel is boundless. There is nobody that you know, that I know, that is beyond the reach of the gospel. It is boundless. Where do you want to go to share the gospel? God will be with you. The, the gospel will be, can be presented. You can share the good news. It is boundless. You can't go someplace where the gospel won't be accepted. The gospel is boundless, and yet it has boundaries. Yet it has boundaries. The boundaries are that you have to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. Boundaries. You must confess he is Lord. Finally, the last verse says, for the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, the righteousness that is by faith from first to last, the righteous will live in faith. We'll come back to that next week. We'll unpack what that means. But you, as a church, you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, get this opportunity, get this privilege to live by faith, by obedient faith, doing what the Spirit of God has challenged you. Maybe there's an area in your life in which God says you're not living by faith. Maybe it's in your finances and, and, and you haven't yet grown in the ability to give financially to God. To trust God with your finance, with your car. Oh God, please help me with my car. But God, you never say, God, help me become a tither. Help me become generous. Help me become financially able to just let go of things and give generously to you. Maybe it's in your relationships. I don't know where you need to grow in your faith in your relationships. Maybe it's in the fact that you're comfortable and you need to grow and become uncomfortable in a place where, where God wants you to go. Open your house up and have a community group in it. Open your heart up and invite somebody to be a heart friend instead of a social friend. Maybe it's in an area of you haven't studied the Bible and you don't quite know how to study the Bible and so you've not made a commitment. We've got three, four great Bible study groups. Come on Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. You want to know the basics? Larry has it. You want to dig deeper and you want to, you want to figure out how to respond to some of the challenges in our culture? Come to Rich's study at 9 o'clock. You, you want to unpack the scripture verse by verse? Come on Wednesday night. You want to build, be in a relational Bible study? Go to Frank and Debbie's Frank and that's Debbie and that two people there. Okay, and go to their Bible study on Tuesday night. They've got a great relationship. Open your house and start one yourself. Get involved, heart to heart, face to face, 
with someone. And when a guest comes to church, invite them as well. Into your house, into your heart. Church, we're about ready to take a great journey through the book of Romans. And I pray that the fire that ignited in Martin Luther, the fire that ignited in Paul, and, and uh, who is the Paul Bunyan? No, Paul, what? What's the name of the pilgrim? John Bunyan, yeah. Paul Bunyan, he cut down trees, right? He didn't quite write a book. <laughs> Oopsie. Okay. Um, and other people, pray that the fire of this book fills your veins. And because God is using you for a noble purpose this week, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to, to dig into your word. And Lord, I pray that it was your voice that was proclaimed this morning, not me that somehow you spoke to each and every one of us. You convicted us of a sin that wasn't even mentioned. You, you, you motivated us. You cheered us. You encouraged us. You patted us on the back, Lord. Or you pulled us up by our shirt and you said, you got to go. So, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to proclaim your word. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. If I could have the ushers come forward for the morning offering. And as they come forward, make sure, as Patricia said, you got a connection card. Fill that out. We send out texts quite often about what's going on. And I really want you to begin to pray for on May 12th, because that's going to be a very important day for us, engaging and encouraging the moms. How wonderful that'll be. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this gift we are able to give back, for the step of faith that we take. Lord, so take all of these resources, expand them exponentially, and use them for your kingdom and your glory. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.